0: You to register for Trailhead and you won't let me, so
1: I gotta wait till opened, after this. It opened what this morning? You didn't have to wait until 5.30 when we're supposed to record. Or,
0: I've been on the phone all day. I, well, I'm sorry, <clears throat> you can register tonight. It's not you're going not anywhere, it's not, not gonna, it's not
1: going to sell out tonight. Sorry, plus, the, like I said, the only thing I would worry about would be hotel rooms, and I don't think it's a problem because Trailhead DX is not big enough. Plus, I booked a room and you're I got double, double beds so that uh, you can <laughs> we can share a room.
0: Why the double? I thought we'd spoon. <laughs> I make yeah, that joke every time, I know, don't it's I? like you do. Yeah. You're like, you're, you're, it's you're, getting It's one of your dad jokes. It is one of my dad jokes.
1: So anyway, yeah, we're, so, well, for for those, I guess we should say, for those of you who want to go to DX, the registration did open today. What is today? Two, Wednesday the 6th? And, um. When is it? It's in September, right? Yeah. <clears> How much <throat> was it? It was, well, of course, you, you get to go for free because. I, I don't
0: know. Depends. Depends. The code
1: might, might be done. No, it's not. D, MVPs get to go to all this crap for free. I only they have, have
0: limited I only availability out on those of my codes. out of my
1: pocket seven hundred dollars. Sure, my wife will be happy about that. Um, to go to this thing, so I hope it's really good. And I'm of course going to pay. You know, what is it three hundred bucks a night for a hotel room? So I'll be there. F- it's four nights. I'm well. well we, I'm we flying can. In the night before, and there's two nights. <clears throat> it's like I maybe it's three nights in a hotel. So that's what six hundred bucks. Yeah, it's um stuff is expensive. Yeah. Anyway, I'm registered. You have a plane ticket yet? No. No probably No, no, no. I want to talk to... I want to strategize on when I'm flying out. Yeah. Some people were flying out the the day that Trailhead DX is over. And I was like, why would you do that? Because you're going to have to miss it. And then they're like, yeah, I could just get a red eye late. And I was like, maybe I should do that too. Because then you have to stay in San Francisco a whole other day, which yeah. is desirable to not do.
0: Yeah, if it was one of those towns where, you, where you'd want to spend an extra night...
1: But it's not. <laughs> well, there's stuff to do in San Francisco. I mean, I, trust me, I could. In fact, I think I'm just going to go ahead and keep that because I did book the hotel for the last night also of Trailhead DX, whatever night that it's. What is it Wednesday and Thursday or Tuesday and Wednesday? Maybe. I don't know. Anyway. So I can stay that night if I want to. I might just do that because there's always, I probably will actually. Although, yeah, I don't know. There's always, at least there's certainly like a beer stuff I can go do. There's always. Yeah. Like I want to make sure I get to go to Cellar Maker and some of these other. There's so much changing in the beer world these days. That's something I can do, and I love food, so there's always good food stuff. Yeah, going on. So I mean, I can entertain myself.
0: I'll have to. I'll I'll definitely register, but I'll have to work out my schedule. I'm I'm uh. Well,
1: let's let's uh yeah, So, so are you interested in sharing a room? Does that help, or not? Because I, I don't know. You probably have some fancy job now that pays for all this stuff, right? No, no. <laughs> do you get to take the time off? What's the story with that? I don't know. I, might I don't do, even know if I could take. the time I might off. do PTO. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Do you have a um, what's it called? You know, a, a conference slash professional development um, budget where you can take you know money and time to. I have no improve.
0: idea. No, you don't know. I'll have to ask. I, I mean, I I'm just assuming. I don't you know. know. I I just <clears throat> here's my problem with it is when when the few times that I've gone where the company has paid for it, I feel like I'm way off on the mic. Hold on. Yeah, you are a little bit. Um. I always feel like obligated to do as much as I can and to be as professional as I can and everything, whereas I really kind of enjoy it when I'm just kind of going on my own time and being independent because then I I don't feel as stressed. I, don't, I feel like it's for me and not for everyone else. And I don't feel like I have to come back and do some presentation on everything I saw and did. It's just, you know. Yeah,
1: you don't have to justify it, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: So I don't know. I might just leave it completely off the books and just make it a my thing. I don't know. I just feel better that way, I guess.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I would. I would see what's available, and I would not feel bad about it. I mean, it's not like people that. I mean, you you work hard enough. That's not you shouldn't feel you shouldn't feel bad for. Doesn't always feel that way, and it benefits the. I mean, <laughs> it benefits employers for, for, for. I mean, for them to develop their. I mean, companies spend tons of money on on development. He, uh, you know, organizational development, human resource development. Yeah. So this, I mean, the fact that you're willing to go do this is is. I don't know it seems like a good thing, and employers would want to support that I mean at least woke employers, john
0: <laughs> no i I know they have a lot of programs like that i just I just wonder what the strings are attached to it. you know when they're paying I'm technically representing them, and you know
1: no no, not necessarily yeah. just because they're just because they're they're reimbursing your costs doesn't mean you're representing them right. I mean, I'm not saying you want to go and like jump around on stage naked while you're employed by a company, but I'm I'm just saying like it's not like you're there representing them. You're just you're there for yourself, no, and no, nobody wants that. Jeremy. No, they don't.
0: Nobody trust me. That.
1: Um. Anyway, yeah. So I'm registered, and I just need to figure out when I need to fly and all that business. But looking forward to it. This is the uh, this is like my main thing of the year now. I'm even. I think I'm gonna. Count, I was gonna go to something next month in San Diego, which I'd love to go to San Diego, but. Because I'm taking a week for DX and probably going to have to go to Dreamforce, I, I'm like, I'm not taking off basically three weeks a year for conferences. So, yeah. plus there's other conferences that I'm probably going to want to go to that are outside of the Salesforce space. So I don't know. So it's, uh, it's tough.
0: Yeah, this year's going to be tough conference-wise. I'm hoping next year will be a little bit better. I think TDX will probably be the only one I go to if I do go. Um, I would love to go to Texas Dreaming, but I'm not sure if I'm going to make that one. Really? Yeah. Wow, that surprises me. I'm just, my schedule's crazy. Yeah. Until I can get a long-term heavy project where I can at least manage my schedule. Right now, I'm, I'm hot swapping on 10 different projects. I'm exaggerating, but I feel like I'm hot swapping on 10 different projects, which means I have 10 different status meetings and 10 different things that are due. And because they're, they're not planned yeah. for me to be on it, I'm just helping. Yep. It means I have basically zero budget and I have to be as efficient as I can. And get it done as quick as I can with minimal requirements. So they need you to come in and do stuff, but they don't—they <clears throat> can't really pay you for it. There's not really budget for it, right? right. Yeah,
1: so, yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's that's I think part of when you're starting a new gig, especially in professional services, and you're unless you just happen to get lucky and there's like something that's just starting that you're a good fit for. Uh-huh. You're kind of just bouncing around, and I mean there can be some benefits too. You know, you get to know different people and you know your just your name's kind of getting out yeah. there and people know you that you exist.
0: Yeah, no that's that's definitely a, a good way of putting it. I mean, I am getting that.
1: Anyway, um I have a um a, a kind of completely unrelated story that I kind of wanted to start with if that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh this is just one of those, I don't know. Uh if if you're a homeowner or a, a dad or whatever or if you just have had to fix crap before, you you might get a kick out of this. So, last night, kids are upstairs bathing. Getting ready for bed and all that business. And, and I'm, I went up there because I was like, I was going to, you know, check on them and um, put the little one to sleep and all that stuff. And Sarah was up there and she's like, hey, uh, you know, we got a problem here. And I was like, oh, crap. So go in the bathroom and um, the grandma took a taking a bath and he, co- he couldn't get the bath to turn off. Oh, and it's one of those. It's just one. One knob. One knob yeah. that controls, you know, you'd like to turn on a little bit, it's cold, turn on more, it's hot. And it just was, you know, you could basically like
0: spin, spin it, or, it
1: or just like it did nothing. You can go back and forth, it did nothing. And it's on full blast. And it was like, the t- bathtub was halfway up and it like, it couldn't even drain fast enough. And this is upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> so the, f- the first thing, I, th- I mean, I didn't even, wasn't even worried about fixing. It. I'm just like, okay, what do I do to prevent this bathtub from overflowing? Right. Turn off the water. Yeah. So luckily, this is a, this is a probably the most pro of pro tips I've ever gotten, I've ever, ever given. I bought one of these things that like 20 years ago. The thing mm-hmm. that the key. and I don't know if you have to have this. Yeah. It's the key that you that you can take to like over you know out by the street in front of your house. Mine has two parts, but one is to lift the lid yep. up off of it. Yeah. And The other one just <laughs> fits the deal, so you can turn your water off. So it took yeah. me like, I mean, it probably took me all of t- two minutes because I knew right where the thing was. To go get it and then turn turn the
0: water off. So I got the water turned off. Um, and then... It's a good thing you did because, I mean, that knob is not easy to turn. No,
1: it's, it was really stiff, actually. And it's
0: in a, such a small area. It, it, it is. It's like you can't get certain pliers in there or anything. Nope. You kind of just nope. need this. And even getting the, the hatch off without that little other part, that yep. little key, I guess. Yeah, And this one didn't
1: have a... I think in my previous house, you had to stick the key down in there. And then mm-hmm. you have to turn because there's actually a lever mechanism that you engage that... That oh you know turn that moves this thing otherwise so you can actually get it off. This one didn't have that. You just yeah I stuck it there and pulled up. But yeah, um, so but anyway, so I go back up to the to the bathroom and I'm looking at this thing like what the hell is this? And we've already before so this is one of these things. Th- those types of valves that have just the single spinny deal. Mm-hmm. There's a cartridge in there. Like, mm-hmm. It's called a cartridge. Yeah. And I don't know why. At some people say it because it has to do with the fact that we have relatively hard water. But they go they go bad sometimes even though it has a lifetime warranty. And this is the, the second or third time that one's gone bad, but it's never gone bad in a way that it was like, it was on and it it went bad while it was on. <laughs> it's always <laughs> gone bad when it's off. Or like the last time it went bad, you could turn the water on and it would, cold would come on, but you would never get hot.
0: Mm.
1: And uh, anyway, and I've always called the plumber because he'll let you come out and fix it. And like 150 bucks or something, you know, every plumber can fix it. But it was at night and I'm like, oh crap. And I haven't taken a shower. We can't brush our teeth. We have no, we're not, you're not going to have any water until Sundown Noir. So I just, I went to Home Depot and I bought the cartridge that seemed like the right one by the brand. And also bought a puller because getting that cartridge out is almost impossible if you don't have a puller. But anyway, long story short, or long story long, sorry. I got that thing pulled out and then got everything in a new one. You got had, had to lube it up. It comes with lube, <laughs> it's convenient. <laughs> lube it up. Actually, you have to be careful. Some of them say do not use the lube. On it, it came with the valve okay. or with a cartridge. So yeah. I don't know. I lubed it up. <laughs> <laughs> You give me lube, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lube it up. <laughs> so, got it in there, and um, it actually the one of the toughest things was was just like getting the like the the actual handle thing back on in a way that because you I didn't realize this, but you can configure it so that you, yeah you can't turn it too far to the hot direction like you can yeah. figure how how far you want it to turn. So, and then turn the water back on and stuff didn't blow up and no water
0: shot out. So I guess I, <laughs> I guess we're good. Were you able? So you able but to turn it on? Save the night, John. I saved the day. Did you did you turn on the shower again or you just yeah. you're just happy that it just no, no, turned the water and tested, to the house Yeah, I went and test,
1: yeah, tested it and okay. a lot of a lot of testing. On, off, cold, hot, all that business.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. Those yeah. are the type of things you learn to and fix on at, your own, yeah.
1: You know, I got to Home Depot at eight thirty last night, like, you know, third I think they closed at nine, I so I barely got in night. there. Yeah. And and here's what's the most amazing part. It took one trip to Home Depot. Wow. I know. Have you ever successfully done a home project without no. having
0: to go Home Depot multiple no. times? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, there's there's an Ace Hardware halfway to there and so sometimes I'll try to stop there but they don't always have what I need and I end up having to do two or three trips. It sucks, yeah. yeah. No. I, I think every dad knows the pain of having to go to Home Depot like at least oh three three or four times. At least I have
1: that one by us. It is at least
0: it's really close. Yeah. I mean, I can I basically drive out of my neighborhood and you're at Home Depot. At least it's Home Depot though. The other night, I had to go to Walmart <laughs> at night. Hey, at least they're open twenty four hours. Y- y- yeah, it was it was pretty scary. Yeah, yeah. During the day, Walmart's fine. It's just at night, like, the weirdest people show up in there.
1: Yeah, I guess I try to avoid it. Like,
0: they seem like they're on something, or they seem like they're about to be on something, or they seem like they're coming off of something, and the parking lot just reeks. It's just skunky all through the parking lot. There's, like, two cop cars on each doorway, and I'm just like, like Someone having sex under the tree, and, like, some needles, and... (laughs) And then just forget trying to get moved, because people, when they walk in the parking lot at Walmart at night own the whole road. Did you know that? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah they, sure. they,
0: they span across, mm-hmm. hold hand to hand.
1: Oh, don't go to Costco They at any time of the day, especially in Frisco, <laughs> Texas. Don't go to Costco.
0: Jeez. I just, I, I'm, I'm considerate. I try to be I, considerate I'm, and aware you know, of my surroundings in parking lots, you know, but it, some people, people, they just, no, no
1: people you know, there's, first of all, not all cultures are as considered as ours. I can say that. And then also, um, not, not all parents nowadays teach their kids the, the way they used to. I think that's the big thing. I think it's a parent problem. These were adults, man. My mom would have – I mean my mom taught me that kind of stuff. She would have kicked my butt if I was like being inconsiderate or rude or in someone's way. I mean she would – she's always like dragging me. She'd jerk my arm like, get out of here. You know, like <laughs> – <laughs> <sighs> Do we need to get you a catch <laughs> so we can work through these issues? <laughs> yeah, I guess. No, there's not enough time in, the, in my lifetime. Trust me. Yeah. Um, so how cool. do you like this uh, beer? What do you think of it? Did it? Did it surprise? Because I
0: didn't tell you what it was. Did it surprise you that It you- did surprise mm-hmm. me. Yeah, that was that was a shocker. We'll call that one a shocker. This is the first sour that I've ever made. The taste does not match the smell. Like the smell is is odd, but the taste is good. It's it's a good sour. It's just the the aroma is I can't place it. So it's supposed to be. I, that's
1: like I, I it seemed like I talked about this last week. But it's supposed to be a Berliner Weiss. I think I did tell. I say I was gonna. I said I made that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: it did a kettle sour. I would say it's traditional, except that. I don't think they're traditionally kettle sour. They're just, they kind of soured. They didn't mm-hmm. intend to the sour, They're just kind of the part of the process and it kind of just happened. Yeah. Um, after or and during fermentation, probably after actually primary fermentation, but these nowadays, I mean, you kettle sour them, so you, you kind of intentionally sour them and then, and then you um, do the normal fermentation process, but it's kind of like a no boil. I really didn't boil this. Mm. So that's why I think, on the, I don't know if you get this on the finish, it's real grainy. Why does yours seem darker than mine? Or is it just your cup? I think it's just a cup and I have more in it or something. Yeah. Um, but the finish is real kind of almost, uh, um, I don't want to say raw grain because it's it's all malted grain, but it's um, mm-hmm. real fresh grain and kind of bread or whatever. But then the, you know, on, when you first take a sip, it's it's like that lemon, you know, you get that like, fresh lemon. It's, at least I do. I don't know about you, like the sourness. It's like fresh yeah. lemon almost. But I think yeah. it's, it's only four percent, which is that's the traditional part. It's actually a hair under four percent. I think they're normally like three and a half to four percent, like traditionally. I mean mm-hmm. nowadays you'll see like five and six percent. Even like um, Union Bear here has a Imperial Goza, which there's no such thing. Mm-hmm. When that's a Goza, also it's a slightly different style. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, this is you know I try to keep it traditional ABV wise, and I mean this is going to be I think one of my summer go-to recipes, John. Can you imagine
0: just like out on the out the pool? Oh just, yeah, you could slam these. It's yeah. only four percent, so you know stay stay hydrated. Oh, it reminds me of sneaking. My father's beer, the Tecate with lime and salt on the rim. You did all that. You went to the trouble,
1: You stole a beer and then from your dad when you were a kid. And went to the trouble of like doing the, the lime and the salt and all that. Yeah, <laughs> that's the way he did it. And I wanted to. I, wanted I mean, I can remember stealing a beer. Like it was a Coors Light can, but I just immediately went to my room and drank it in the most unceremonious way possible. Oh <laughs> <laughs> Anyway. Well, um, let's see. So since we met last time, Salesforce released their annual – I guess it was annual, right? Because it was – they started their new fiscal year. So that would have been their previous – that was 2019. Uh, Now they've started their 2020 fiscal year. So good news there. They didn't go out of business, I guess you haven't noticed. (laughs) They're doing okay. Um, It's interesting they – and this is one of those things that's – again, it's like a tale of two stocks almost. They – they beat estimates, of course, they always beaten, you know, beaten raise, beaten Rays, except that they didn't, the raise w- wasn't quite what it should have been. In fact, I think, it, I think they might've lowered expectations for 2020, um, which is actually why the t- stock took a little bit of a hit. I mean, normally, you know, going into the release Salesforce stock goes up and then after, it, you know, after the, they they beaten raise and, and then the stock continues to go up a little bit. So they, they took a hit. And I think it's just because the guidance into 2020 was kind of tepid. Compared to, I guess, what people are expecting. But yeah, I mean, um, you know, again, they beat on revenue and and, e- and earnings, so and that's good. Uh, highlights. Let's see. Sales. I always look at the sales and marketing expense, like as a ratio of revenue, is really not improving at all. It's right at fifty percent. Fifty percent. That might that might be actually SG&A. It could it could could include um, a general uh, general expenses. But yeah, right at fifty percent. Same what same what it was last year. Again. You know they're a big company now. They've been around for a long time. You you expect that to start to start, to, start to, and to start to bend that curve down some mm-hmm. to, to start yeah. leveraging and so I don't know. We'll see. Um, that bothers some people. It doesn't bother others. Obviously, they're still they still uh, they're still the stock is still valued very. Let's put it this way: it's priced to perfection, meaning that. It, People almost expect perfection coming uh, going forward, mm. <clears throat> and 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 they have you know in general they've they've I mean the growth rates are still like what twenty something percent or whatever. But uh, yeah, it was it was the expected I guess the 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 um, expected uh, like EPS for next year um, is actually they lowered that guidance down like fifty percent. I think I think all of twenty twenty they're expecting sixty eight cents earnings per share of of Gap EPS. So. Uh, a little disappointing there. I think I think that's why Wall Street wasn't so happy. And then of course the a uh, share dilution rose from seven hundred thirty five million outstanding shares to seven hundred seventy five, which I think is like five percent. I did the math earlier.
0: Hmm.
1: Not as bad. They've been up yeah. seven or eight percent on that before, <clears throat> but they're still still raising a lot of cash. Like I, I didn't do the math, but I mean there's been times before when like majority of their cat of their operating cash flow actually came from Generating generating stock. Uh-huh. Anyway, uh, and the other the other uh, fun part about this is <laughs> looking Gosh. at how much these clouds grew. The different clouds. Now I'm disappointed because they started. They haven't. They still haven't broken out any new clouds. I mean, I feel like they've done all this I, I, clouds. You know, cloud creation.
0: Know what what cl- which ones are clouds anymore?
1: I mean, there's there's so many clouds, but they only report on really three because platform is the catch-all that includes a bunch of other what Salesforce. And all their marketing and sales and everything, and all the people talk about as various clouds, that all just gets lumped under, like, platform and other. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, I mean, I I think, you know, again, Sales Cloud uh, growth at, and this is for all of, you know, their fiscal 2019, grew at 12%. Just as you know, they, and I, I actually saw some interesting numbers the other day on the number of salespeople. And I think this was in the United States, but I'm not. I was similar. I would assume similar trends, you know, worldwide. The number of salespeople are are just on the decline, and that And would that be because? Because I didn't. I didn't really dig into it, but I, I'm just assuming it's because there's so many like self service ways to buy stuff now. I mean, we buy everything online. I mean, people buy car, their cars online and and. You know, inter, you know, even a lot of enterprise software, people just want to put in their credit card and buy online. Do you mean Salesforce specifically? No, the number of salespeople Does period, you know? in the in the in the <clears throat> world. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I or, think I th- so. no, I think it was in this country, but so so the question is, you know, that that Salesforces are a big part of their customer base, user base is salespeople, and if and if that's a shrinking population, then your TAM is shrinking potentially.
0: And again, maybe that's why. No, because no. I mean, Salesforce has Service Cloud, and so that that off, the offset okay. in sales can can translate into an increase in 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 service. Oh, sure. Or or if marketing you know jumped massively, it could offset. It. I'm just saying their
1: population of sales users could be a shrinking population. Sure. W- without regard to the other clouds. I'm just like, talking about the sales cloud.
0: But I don't I don't know that it's that much of a difference. <laughs> I don't either. I, I mean, mean, most but, most big organizations with a large Salesforce, um, they have so many people that a lot of the data entry gets consolidated anyways. So, What does that mean? Meaning they, they, might ch- they might have access to Salesforce and they have deals that they check, but most of the management of the actual sale is handled by other people, mm. you know, operationally. Yeah.
1: <laughs> anyway, but yeah, Sales Cloud is, is you know, it just it can't, it can't seem to... It's it's growth has settled. It's settled into that twelve percent number. I feel like it's been that mm-hmm. way for a few years now. Because you know, it used to grow up like thirty percent a year. Now it's at, you know, it seemed to just settled at twelve percent, and then I think they're you know, it just is what it is. I mean, you're you're only gonna there's some theoretical cap on the market share they can get in CRM, mm-hmm. and it's not all that high. I mean, when you think about it, it's like, I think it's like what is it like twenty or something or thirty percent maybe. But there's just so many CRMs out there, and a lot of them are entrenched, just like Salesforce is entrenched, and you're just – they're just not going to budge. I mean, you can keep spending as much – you can keep trying to raise that – to raise your market share in CRM, but those dollars are probably much better spent in, in marketing or service or analytics or uh, AI or integration or automation or all these other clouds they have. It's just you know, your, your return on that investment is going to be higher in, in areas other than CRM slash sales cloud. I think that's why they're just like okay, we're fine with that. You know, we're growing in other areas, and also their verticals, yeah. right? I mean, I think that's why they, you know, they started the big push on verticals a few years ago because they knew they're going to have to keep, you know, if they, unless, unless they want to, unless they are okay with the the, the sales the 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 revenue starting to taper off and really focus on profit margin. Unless they're okay with that, they they knew they were going to have to go out and find other sources of income, right? Which is again <laughs> acquisitions, um. That, that's probably one of the big ones, but also, vertic- yeah, it's, acquisitions have got to be one of the bigger ones, but verticals,
0: you know, getting into verticals. Or just continuing investment into the current platform. I, I read an article today but, you know, that was...
1: But, but, but I'm talking about where you're going to get incremental sources of revenue, because, you, you know, the, they want to keep growing at like 25%, 20, 25% a year. I mean, that's, that's expected. Again, back to that whole price for perfection, that's, that's what everyone's expecting. Yeah, and, and that's what but they're guiding that, for.
0: A lot of that, for, in terms of Salesforce, yeah, acquisitions make a big splash, but also just kind of the new products and innovations that they make on the platform. They, they, the fact that they can announce a new Einstein or a new, a new, a new cloud, you know, gives them a lot of clout with with investments, with the investors, and their stock, of course, raises because of that. Okay, words are hard. I know. I'm just like. Okay. Sure. <clears throat> the reason I'm saying that is because I did read this article. So apparently, Dave who who's one of the co-founders, is back at Salesforce. Apparently, Dave Molinoff, Yeah. Okay. I- and and his role is really loosely defined. It's really vague. Um, apparently, he's there to kind of look at what where they were 20 years ago and where they're at today. And he's apparently working on some new secret project. Mm. I don't know what that means. That's that's all third hand information from yeah from an article. But mm. I mean th- that that to me says that. They're constantly looking for ways to innovate. They're still looking for ways to disrupt whatever. Or maybe even dis- may disrupt themselves? Who knows?
1: Like eat their own tail. Yeah. Well,
0: just I mean, when they came in to kind of disrupt CRM in general, you know, there's surely, surely someone's going to come in and disrupt Salesforce. Yeah. Or Salesforce disrupts themselves. Because right. at some point, the digital transformation is going to be. We're going to be transformed, and we're <laughs> right. done. You know, it's like, okay, what's
1: next? We transformed. Yeah you know it's like what's next what do we do (laughs) then we're gonna have the analog transformation it's gonna be like it's gonna be the hipster analog transformation revolution mark my words yeah who knows
0: but anyways I don't know I I just I'm curious I'm curious what the next 10 years will look like well you know
1: you've got a front row spot kind of in a way I guess who in the hell is sitting outside Art studio here. Oh, no, but Did you not put that. the on-air sign on? No,
0: I forgot. <laughs> Damage on? I put that on. People
1: don't know how to be quiet.
0: <laughs> we just got to move to the okay to the star. So
1: we talk about sales. cloud. service uh, service got up twenty five percent. So That's um, I think that's right. Twenty five. I feel like it was higher than that. Maybe that's maybe that's it. That's a pretty good growth there. Platform up forty nine percent. And I think that's got you know that's got integration lumped into it. So what was Microsoft doing? A half a half a billion a year, something like that, before they bought them. So they get, they're taking, you know, that's where that revenue is going. Hmm. What actually? What else? Had, what else did they do? They lump into platform, and then it's got Heroku. Yeah, I don't know. I think just, it's, it's really platform it's and, and, and miscellaneous. Yeah, and then marketing cloud, thirty seven percent. That's that's just continues to be a really big growth driver for them. Yeah. It's it's so interesting because I, I think a part of this is how traditional advertising, whether it's print or television. That's the big one, I think. I mean, how do you reach television? People? How do you? Well, not that, but, but that's what think, century you're from. Think of,
0: it's, it's online media, it's YouTube. <laughs> okay. So the big <laughs> things
1: were, you know, print, you know, like direct mm-hmm. mail, or, you know, direct to consumer and, and television. And those are, those are all falling apart. Mm-hmm. And so you've got all these, these ad dollars that people are like, okay, well, you know, we're tr- redirecting these ad dollars. But, you know, the, the problem is there's so much fraud in digital advertising. Nowadays, yeah, and I think Salesforce, you know, I'm assuming is one of these things that I would assume could could I don't know try to help with that. I, I don't even know they can though. I mean, that's a, that's a well, whole like di- the advertising fraud is digital advertising fraud is, is a whole giant wormhole that I don't know much about, so I'm not saying we should. I go think now.
0: that I think that, but also the places where people consume or the, the people where people the places where people's eyeballs are at are riskier places these days. Because there's there's no control over the content. The content is self-generated by by users. And so it, it the proposition of marketing is a little bit riskier. You know, your ad shows up on some YouTube video where someone's, you know, talking about something that's right. inappropriate yeah, for your yeah. product. Or mm-hmm. social media, you know, you have someone who's advertising, yet they get embroiled in some kind of controversy. Now your name is associated with their name because you're using their brand for recognition. It's, it's a riskier proposition than it used to be. Because at least with... Television and networks—the content was controlled. I mean, you still had those occasional controversies with a show or something like that, but it was a little more isolated than it is today.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I've I've, I've seen increasing reports on. I'm, I'm, I get I, again, I'm keying into the fraud thing. Um, and what was it? Oh, I, there was a actually a really good article on podcast advertising, or not po- not average. Well, I guess it is advertising fraud, but it's. Um, and I I think we get emails from these kinds of people too, but in fact if you if you go put on your linkedin like you're a, a podcaster i guarantee mm-hmm. you'll start getting emails from people wanting have. to um people wanting to help you increase your traffic mm-hmm. and from from this report i read it's um it is largely manual it, or i would say you know i, I guess or, or just it's manual so what happens is and and apparently this is like 95% of it is out of bangladesh y- you know you pay them you know, I'll say a hundred bucks and they just dramatically over the course of a month, increase your, um, basically your downloads. So they manually go and they've got, you know, millions of iTunes accounts. They go on iTunes, they just subscribe, they do download all this stuff. And it, if, and I guess Apple's kind of, I guess kind of good enough that it has to be manual. They've got, they can't, you can't just like set up a script to just like hammer iTunes. You've got to do it from different IP addresses, different I- iTunes accounts, all that stuff. Um, I don't know how good these these what are they called <clears throat> CD uh, content uh, the CDNs like Libsyn and like SoundCloud and whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know how content good they are. Content delivery networks. Yeah. is that what it is? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know how good they are at detecting fraud and dealing with it and everything. But um, but no, you can. I mean it's just a, it's a huge thing. And then, and then, and that's just, that's just podcasting fraud. I think that's pretty big too. I and mean, there's people been, that have been caught doing it and it's, I don't know, apparently it's just becoming a bigger and bigger problem.
0: Well, I think the the industry is trying to set down standards on, on how they report on numbers. And we're seeing some of those changes, but it's, I think it's still very much self-regulated. So there's no official, you know, government standard or some kind of standard right. that holds people accountable to it other than self-regulation, which that's a lot of tr- trust. I mean, I, I, yeah, you know, we never gotten into the ad
1: thing, but I've, I've, I've talked to other people who say that they, um, you know, they, um, when, when they're talking to advertisers, which they do all the, you know, like you're spending a lot of your time talking to advertisers, that they just tell the advertisers what, what their download numbers are and then you ask for reports. That seems odd. I know. They're just like, okay, you know, all right. <laughs> so, you know, because, you know, if you're paying, you know, by the, um, like a CPM type of thing, like, uh, you know, you're paying. I don't know. Well, I don't even know what the numbers are. Thirty bucks per million per thousand downloads, something like that, or whatever. Um, it's like, oh, okay, you've got you know twenty five thousand downloads. Okay, so you know, um, we'll run this ad. We'll we'll do a deal with you for maybe three months or six months. We'll run this many ads, and uh, we'll you know you let us know what the C, if the CPM changes, but we'll assume it's this, and you know invoices, and you know you're good to go. So I don't know, and then we of, can
0: just say we have ten percent of five million, right? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah,
1: yeah. Surely we've got ten percent of the developers out there, right? Yeah. To listen, I, mean, I think seems seems like a safe assumption. Anyway, um, well, John, do you, I know
0: that you said you uh, didn't have a lot to talk about today. Did any anything? Uh, yeah, I mean, I did have a few things. They're just kind of anecdotal stuff, but I did want to ask your opinion on something. Okay. Um, so we've been t- we've been. I'm gonna try to keep this to me. Uh, I've been trying to think about a lot about how to how best to use repositories. Um, In my company, we're also trying. What kind of repository are you talking about?
1: Document repository. Yeah, I
0: know. I know. (laughs) A code repository. So, so a a Git or something Um, for code. And I think this is like my dad trying to talk about this. I know. (laughs) I think. I think because I'm, I'm. I'm going through the motions of trying to think through the best way to do this from a to offer input into initiative to try to drive using a repository <laughs> across everyone. So everyone would be committing their code to a to a to a GitHub account or something. We'd all have our you know repositories within that account, and we'd all have access to all that code. It solves for a couple of things. One, we want to get stuff versioned and tracked so that we have the code. And two, if someone gets hit by a bus, the code isn't on their machine somewhere or in their, their personal dev account somewhere, which is another thing I found out is a kind of a normal thing that happens. I don't know, I don't know if you've experienced that, but apparently a lot of people will just kind of do a bunch of deve- development in their own dev account and then transfer it over to...
1: In their own dev account. What does this mean? So <laughs> apparently... Like on their machine? Or no, like their own like GitHub their account? Their own
0: developer account. They'll, they'll, they'll start working... They'll start. Trying to figure out how to do something, and they'll do it in their own developer account, the, not okay, in a client org. To to, wait,
1: which, so you, what I'm you, saying you is, you mean a developer org, their own developer org. Yes, sales? okay, their so own developer you org. Say what you're talking about. You jump from GitHub, now you're talking about Salesforce. Okay, I'm trying to follow you here.
0: Well, I'm trying to, I'm trying, yeah. I, like I said, I haven't formalized <laughs> these thoughts okay. in a professional way where I can come to you with a cohesive thing. I just wanted to ask your advice okay. on this because I want to understand. So
1: you're saying they'll start out doing, they'll create their own or use no, their no, own no, developer no, org, no. and they'll start developing no, in their no. own developer org.
0: No, 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 okay. no. Don't get caught All up right. on that. Okay. All I'm saying is there's code out there that isn't accessible for some reason or another. It's either they put it on their own developer org or it's in some org that only they have access to or okay. maybe it's on their machine and, and they're text editing it and they've never compiled it against Salesforce. I'm trying to solve that problem, trying to understand yeah. that problem. Is, is a Git repository or a version control system the right place for that? Because yes, my understanding... Yes. well, Well, here... Okay. I I said yes too, but now I'm starting to think. Isn't it not the point that you commit to your repository the time when you have code that compiles traditionally?
1: It depends on your branching strategy and a lot of things, but but yeah, you generally like for public branches, you don't want to you know what we used to call break the build,
0: right? And so that that's the part where I'm kind of hung up on because I mean. If I do have code that I'm just kind of prototyping out or just trying to work out, that means I still have a fair amount of code on my machine that isn't committed anywhere. It's still here and no one can access it. And so I'm kind of wondering is if I'm trying to solve that problem and make sure the code is accessible, you know, doesn't matter where it's at, is the repository it? Do we maybe create some kind of private branch where everything gets saved but doesn't get pushed up to a higher level branch that's considered good code? I mean I just
1: Well Okay, so if, if you're if you're following somewhat decent practices, people shouldn't be going that long without committing something that can be shared. If True. So but you're probably not doing other stuff right. I mean, I like on projects that I work on. Like, let's say I worked on um, a, a project for for a day. Mm-hmm. Um, if I don't push up a commit at least once of what I've of a good amount of what I've done, then I probably am. I probably got too big of a. Um, you know, didn't break up the story enough or I'm something's something's going on. Or 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 our practices, you know, dictate that like you can't push anything up until you've completed some bigger thing or something. I don't know but Yeah, I mean like do you stub
0: out some classes and commit and then and then start filling them out or you know. No I wouldn't do that, but
1: I've just break down the work into small enough chunks that I can that I can incrementally work on a you know on a feature or something. And you can also have like I mean this is where, that's why I said it. part of it depends on your branching strategy. I mean, you can have feature branches. You know, just, it totally depends on the project. I mean, of course, I'm a consultant, so this is, a, it depends. It depends, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. But if for some reason you're working on something for like a week and it never leaves your computer, that that's a problem. Yeah. You know, how long do you want it to be? Like, I mean, I mean, maybe there's a rule of thumb. Like, hey, you know, like you shouldn't go more than a day without
0: your code getting backed up or pushed to pushed to Git or something. You know? Yeah. I think the other part of it is is—is it, if we do go this route where the repository is the the repository for all code, um, is trying to set up or encourage a habit without kind of overreaching and saying, kind of almost like time entry, like you have to, you have to enter this much time, this time of day, by the end of the day, you know, this kind of thing, those really kind of overbearing micromanagement strategies. I'm afraid of that coming down.
1: Get your time sheets in. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there's a billion timesheet memes out there because it's just something we all freaking have to deal with yep. Um, oh, my boss sends timesheet memes that are kind of funny actually That's good.
1: at least your boss, I, is, you know, least your I, boss is somewhat I, self-aware
0: to be honest I prefer the timesheet meme over it's Friday get your timesheets in yeah. <laughs> so I don't know I, I like the memes but you know I'm I'm afraid of that type of kind of strategy of beating it down like you have to commit something once a day when you're writing code or something just to kind of get in the way of the creative process of, of writing code, the creative process of prototyping something out, knowing it's bad code, and just going down the, the rabbit hole just to see what comes out, what you learn from that. And you're kind of validating what you know is probably not going to work. I don't know if that makes sense.
1: I did not follow that.
0: So I, I, I sometimes will allow myself to kind of go down a path that I know probably isn't the right path because I kind of learned something a little bit from it. Especially if, it,
1: I, yeah, I mean, do you need to do that? Like, is is it because you, um, for some reason, you need to you need to eliminate an option
0: as an option? Kind of. Okay. Like, I need to fully understand why legitimate. I'm why I'm eliminating that or why I, I think mean, that's going. to...
1: Is it legitimate? Or are you just being a stubborn ass? And you're like, I pretty much know this thing to work, but I'm going to prove it doesn't work. I mean, that's probably not a good use of your employee's that, resources. That's subjective, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> probably.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, I, I, I there there are some ideas I have that go. I'm not sure that can work. But sometimes you can explore an option and find out either a it works because you have some preconceived um, assumption or or maybe you've you've understood something at one point in time but that has changed. you know the platform constantly gets updated you know once upon a time I used to worry about how many lines of code now I don't have to worry about how many lines of code those type of things where you might have missed an update and you didn't know that you can do something that you couldn't do before so I do kind of allow myself to kind of explore some of the things or or kind of go down this hole and see and kind of validate that. Yeah, that's going to be an issue, um, but it's more exploratory. It's more just a creative process. It's more of and how a,
1: long would you spend? How much time would you spend doing this?
0: Not much. Okay. I don't. I don't get a lot of time to do that type of stuff, okay. and I don't get to do that very often. So we're not talking about. I, there's,
1: there's no. There's no great risk here that we're going to lose like you know ten thousand lines of code. or something.
0: No, no. What I'm saying is, is that you know the kind of hand the the strictness of trying to create a habit for developers to say, hey you have to commit you have to commit you have to commit on a daily basis versus you know maybe i took a day to kind of explore an option or maybe i took you know a couple hours to explore an option i, I don't that's fine. i don't have like concrete examples yeah. i feel like i'm strawmanning yeah. this but there are cases where i feel like the budget and time constraints to the rule
1: i mean and again if you're kind of trying to do an experiment it's not like you're producing a ton of useful code it's probably throwaway code anyway yeah. you know it's, it's it's called what do we call that um, like a spike you're doing a yeah spike. i'm
0: kind of as i'm talking it i'm kind of realizing that that it technically is throwaway code anyway. and, anyways, and also keep so. in mind you know, and Git Git Git
1: really has no concept of a central repository. There are just there's repositories that are local, and then there are remotes. And you can, buy, you know, you can have a remote that's called something other than origin, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> you can, and you can have as many remotes as you want. And like say, your boss is like, yeah, you know, quit creating all your. St- Push, quit pushing up all your stupid branches. Like you're just mud, you know, mudding this thing up. We don't want to see all your branches. And let's say you're doing that because you you are trying to push up a bunch of intermediate commits mm-hmm. so that you don't lose work. Push them up to your own account. Just create an, like a the a separate a separate uh, remote called you know, my code, <laughs> and so I can that, have my so code. Get, or a uh, git push <laughs> my code master or dev or whatever. You know, it's like you can push it to other places that are just temporary holding places if you need something just to like uh,
0: you know if you're like okay i just want to make sure i'm getting a backup here or whatever you can push it out of the place you don't That's have not to push a bad it to your, idea yeah. so so every developer would kind of have their my code space their my code repository <laughs> this is this is awesome i'm loving this i like this idea uh, i'm going to have my code repository and anytime i want to commit something to the to the official branch i just i just merge it over right yeah.
1: i mean uh,
0: what was the command from one repository to another it's not a merge what are you what are you doing if I have my own repository, yeah. I want to move code to another repository. It's just a push. It's just a push, yeah. yeah. Okay.
1: And it, again, it's, you can push whatever repository. I mean, one one remote repository is just as equal as another re- remote repository, is according to, you know, yeah, as far I, as Git I, goes. I don't
0: know why I didn't even think of that. I mean, I, I was thinking local repository, but I was like, no, because that's still, it's still on my and machine. And there are so
1: many, there, I mean, there are several good, sec- that are good, you know, Git Repository hosting services out there that are they're free. I mean, even can't you even with GitHub now? Don't you get free private repositories? Yeah, I know with Bitbucket you do Mm -hmm. it. I've always paid for GitHub, so I don't even. I'm not sure what's free and what's not. But um, yeah, I mean, you've got free private repositories. It's not going to cost you anything. I mean, um, yeah. So that that's one option.
0: That's not a bad idea.
1: And then also, I mean, in addition to that, I mean, don't people have backups or do they not? I mean, like I have. um, What I use CrashPlan, and it just it's constantly backing things up. I know a lot of people don't have that for security reasons and whatever else but
0: yeah I think I think it's a it's a weighing of risk I mean we're we're kind of told constantly not to have you know Code on our machines that don't belong to us, not to have data on our machines that don't belong to us. So we're. But
1: how? But how do you get any work done if you don't have anything know, on your I, machine that doesn't belong to you? I mean, right. But
0: I think I think I, more by so. Definition:
1: Create things constantly that don't belong to me. I'm pretty, I, I, you
0: know? I know. I know, but I think more so just not not including that in your backups. I mean, it's it's a it's almost a double edged sword. You want it because in case your machine fails and you need to get that backup, but then at the same time that backup now has client data or client code. Well, oh that's it. true. Yep, and so it's just one of those things. That you have got to balance.
1: But that's why I said for security reasons, some people actually can't have. You can't use these right. backup services. But a lot of times, just like there's a there's a corporate. You know, they they've have like a corporate crash plan or a corporate whatever, some kind of backup Seagate yeah. thing or whatever, and and it's doing the. I mean, because that's a that's a good idea too. Is I, I I like that idea of that continuous backup. And all most of them also do versions now. So like, because that's the other big thing. It's like it's not just that you actually deleted something because mm-hmm. then the question is like, does your backup, what if you do like on the, on like this little hard drive I have, I do like a super duper clone every couple of days. And the, the thing with that is like, let's say I delete an important file. And I don't realize it. And then I run a backup and super duper makes your backup exactly equal to your hard drive. Mm-hmm. And so that file is going to be gone now of my backup as well. And then, and then later I realize I'm like, Oh crap, I delete that file. And then I backed up and so I don't even have it backed up anymore. Except Crash by not only has it, but all the previous versions. So if, like you hose a version up and don't realize it until like a week later, yeah. you just go back to the, you know, you've got all those versions. So, I mean, I, I've got a multi-pronged. I'm a, I'm a you know, so, so for so long I've been just like a, you know, one-man shop. So I had to solve these problems myself. And luckily I haven't had, I really haven't had any disaster scenarios. I've always said like, if I like If I just lost everything for some reason, like all my data or something, I would just, I'm like, that'd be a good opportunity just to completely switch careers, like get into a different business altogether. This one's not (laughs) that great. As much as people like to, you know, everyone, the whole, we're going to save the whole world by everyone learning to code. I'm like,
0: "Ah, I think it's a sign for me to move on or something.
1: (laughs) Maybe, maybe a total data loss wouldn't be such a bad thing. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, my concern was less about uh, backups and it was more about just kind of making code accessible. And I like the kind of individual public or private repository or whatever that is. I like that idea. I'll explore that. I appreciate it.
1: All right. Well, let's see. I'm glad we solved that problem. Can um, we talk about my trailhead? No. And this is one of the, you, why do they the,
0: get to call my stuff and I get railed for calling stuff mine? Well, I,
1: I listen, I, the thing with Salesforce calling everything. And by the way, right, why is it?
0: Or on the subject of my, why is my glass
1: empty? Because you haven't. I told you that that's yours, and you haven't. <laughs> but was it? Was it last Dreamforce or the one before that where they announced like my versions of everything? And was my Trailhead not one of them? Is this not a re, recycled announcement? Uh, Do you remember that? Well, I think they, they, it was my Salesforce. Is that still a thing? Remember they announced it was a my, my Salesforce. There was my something
0: else. Like my thing. code yeah I think so yeah I'm allowed to have my code now it's so official I know, this, branding
1: this, I can't tell Again, this, this my thing is, uh, I mean, what, is it, what does it even mean I mean you could, I guess you can customize it gives it gives you a sense of, the, of
0: ownership a sense of entitlement so. to that
1: but I, I went and, and looked at uh, the way there was a link I clicked on the link that I think it was from a Salesforce ad on, uh, that went right to the you know the new there's a new web page for my trailhead but when you click to like get more information of course what is it what do you get landing page a lead for a lead gen form i'm like i'm not filling out the lead gen form i just wanted to see what it is and how much it costs but apparently i, I had to read through some article hey someone did some work <laughs> uh that <laughs> it's 25 dollars per user per month on top of your sales on top of your salesforce license 25 uh,
0: you, per user
1: well i thought that that seemed high to me too but then i thought well wait a minute that's that's not like, what two 250 bucks a year something like 300 bucks a year i'm like for an lms platform for that's not that's not bad you know, three hundred bucks per employee per year? That that's, that's not so bad. I mean if we can load that thing up with all of our corporate training and everything else and I don't know.
0: Yeah, I guess you're right. And
1: you can probably negotiate it lower too if you have a lot of users or something that are yeah. like, you know, I don't know. That's
0: there is a market for that. I and mean then I,
1: I thought yeah, because I don't know much about I mean some of these, you know, modern <laughs> LMSs, they're they're quite robust and have all kinds of crazy features. I just wanted. To, I wonder if Trollhead's really I don't think so. Because, you know, Tron was kind of purpose, and I'm just making stuff up, don't really know, I wasn't in the meetings, but it seemed like it was purpose-built for solving Salesforce's, you know, tra- think, tra- training Yeah, problems. I mean, I think it's
0: more of a, just a, a, a place to get training and access to training, but it's not meant to be, um, like, certification training. So a lot of these LMS, LMSs, they'll cater to, like, the medical industry or, or um, these industries that require certain regulations, especially like OSHA regulations and all those kind of things. And so there's a certain certification process. There's a certain uh, regulation on the type of content that's covered and all that kind of stuff. It's it's like a big deal. Yeah. Um, I don't think this covers any of that. I think it's just, here's some videos and here's some badges for the things you took. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe it's simple, but I,
1: if your employees are already used to Trailhead, you know, and, and it's... Familiar with them, and you've got good adoption on it. I mean, it, I can see how it makes sense to. I mean, it may not have every feature of other LMSs out there. But maybe you don't. Maybe you don't need them. And it's just. <clears throat> oh no! I thought this might happen.
0: <laughs> Suck on the bottle. Well, you know, before you got me back into programming, when I quit programming, I went to work for an LMS company, right?
1: Yeah. No, I remember that.
0: Yeah where i met my wife that's true Was that an lms company yeah yeah i did a cbt uh i did help and support for cbt training you
1: can honestly say that that learning management systems changed your life it did that gets you i I think that earned you a trailblazer jacket and and uh in one of these little commercials they make and maybe even on the (laughs) login screen what was it
0: what was the lms that they they did value add on top of an lms i think it was like dose was it Docent? was that it Docent? Docent? I don't remember. That might I, I, that product might even not exist anymore, but yeah. But,
1: so um, yeah, we didn't say what just happened a minute ago, but I cracked this. I've had this for at least a year, probably a couple of years. A beer from Avery. It's their vanilla bean stout. It's a bomber. That's how you know it's old, because no one puts things in bombers anymore. 10.8% bottled December 2015. So long time, time flies. But as uh as what usually happens with some of these beers that have been around for a little while is there's you know, a little bit of a latent fermentation that happens. And you open you open it and it starts gushing everywhere. It <laughs> wasn't mean as bad as remember in the previous studio over there before we moved? I man, there was some bottle I opened and it just I mean it literally like exploded like a warm champagne bottle. Remember that? I had to bring
0: in the steam cleaner and everything. Was I, I, I don't know if I was there for the explosion, but I was there for the aftermath. Am I,
1: I think. Were you not there? Was I drinking by myself again? Was I day drinking by myself
0: again? <laughs> okay. Oh, no. I was there for that. That was on okay. air. Okay. I, I, was thinking, was, yeah. I was thinking of the time you got a package and it exploded in here.
1: Mm. That was a separate time. Yeah. That was my own dumb fault. Anyway, let's see. My trailhead. So now, with my Trailhead, companies can create their own courses with their own content and branding. It can also help with onboarding and to match people with the products they have the best skills for. Oh, so it's like a – that sounds like almost like a professional services automation app.
0: Um, no, let's they're, see. They're, comp- they're having to compete
1: with LinkedIn Learning now. Okay, so here's maybe a reference to what we were talking about. Salesforce had previously also expanded Trailhead outside the company as a free platform for people to learn how to use Salesforce's software – as well as skills for using software from Google, Amazon, and more. To date, it has 1.2 million learners. So th- th- are they s- does that mean that mm-hmm. they've previously done this, where they've allowed you to... I don't know what I, it yeah, means. It's, it's Salesforce. It's
0: 5 million developers. It's, it's 1 million trailheaders. Yeah.
1: <laughs> That's what you call them. Um, trailblazers, John. Come <laughs> on! That's right. That's right. God, have they not... Oh, funny story. In your head? Funny that? story.
0: Funny story. You know we're remodeling our house right now, right? Yes. And uh, the the guys that are doing our plumbing right now, guess what they drive?
1: Plumbers. Well, I've always said my plumber probably makes more money than I do. Oh, no. These, guessing, these,
0: these are just the, the, the contractor guys.
1: Guess <laughs> what they drive?
0: Yeah. They're driving their personal car to my house, so. Um, Tesla. A Chevy Trailblazer.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised that's not the official car of, of Salesforce. I know. I know. <laughs> They should do some joint marketing deal. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You kind of see it everywhere now, don't you? I do. I do. Um, Well, the only other thing I had was, this is just something that, it's one of those things you're like, huh, am I reading this right? But Google announced, this on their blog, that they they did a big, you know, they, of course, all these companies doing all these pay studies.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And they've discovered that they are underpaying men. (laughs) I saw that.
0: I didn't read it, but I saw the... Yeah, and
1: it was their 2018 study. I guess they just finished it. Um, You know, it flips the typical gender pay gap narrative on it's head. Now, maybe, I was thinking, well, maybe that's because... Now, follow me on this, John. Mm -hmm. Google is probably way more heavily male-dominated than, like, Salesforce is. Because Google is way more engineering-dominated than Salesforce is. Right, so I'm guessing at Google, you got like 70 80 percent men.
0: I thought they all had the same 70 30 split. No, it's just a difference it's the in volume, volumes. It's follow me, okay?
1: Google way male dominated. So when you do get females in, it's like, ah, how much you want? How much you please come work with us? You know, it's like it's a novelty. <laughs> it's like, oh, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's like um, it it's the reason why when you go to bars, bars have uh, women's night. Yeah, and they get like free drinks or cheap drinks, like the dudes are having to pay full price.
0: You know, we should all. <laughs> pull a tootsie right i mean that's it, that's what it was my, tootsie was that deaf? i don't know
1: so you <laughs> no, remember tootsie the movie yeah, That's a movie yeah. yeah it is anyway but does that does my logic make sense do you think that's a possibility because they didn't really say why well i don't think they did i don't know they, they did a blog post about it they but uh you know Salesforce and they did their gender gap they realized they had to spend two million dollars three right? three million sorry Twice, G- Google spent, twice at least that has been published. I, well, we're not sure if they were on the second time if they were still referring to the first one or not. It wasn't. It wasn't no, super I think clear. they did
0: it once and then they spent <laughs> you know, another three million.
1: It's, it, but no, Google did ten million. But it was across ten thousand employees or more than it was more than three thousand. I did the math. It was like nine hundred sixty dollars per employee per year. I'm like, yeah, okay, that wasn't, that wasn't that bad. I mean, it was pretty. I mean, you're talking about people who make like one hundred sixty thousand dollars a year. You know, okay, oh, you're paying them, you're shorting them nine hundred bucks. Okay, you know, golf clap. <laughs> I don't know. I don't get, you know, again, I, Silicon Valley makes so much noise about this stuff. And it's just like, oh, okay, you really didn't have a problem or it was so small. It's like, I'm not even sure that's within like statistical uh, confidence levels. I, I, think, I think that's within the margin of error almost. I don't know. Don't get me wrong. I mean, don't get me started on numbers. I don't know what I'm talking about. Let's see. What? Google. Six Sigma black belt here doesn't know about numbers? I, just, I'm just, I don't have the numbers. Okay. I don't have any okay. numbers. That's, so if I did have the numbers, I, I still probably would be too lazy to actually analyze them. But theoretically, I could analyze them <laughs> <laughs> because I have a black belt. That's right. Uh, Google is facing a class action lawsuit filed by women who allege uh, systemic underpayment. And it is the subject of an investigation by the Department of Labor. The government's getting involved in whether Google pays women less. Oh, so maybe this is just Google's way of saying, hey, screw you, government. We self-analyze and we're paying men less. There you go. That take that'll show you, right? Yeah. Come messing with us. That works, right? That's another, that's another angle I didn't think of. Uh, let's see. Here's their. Oh, this is the lawyer, okay, who filed the class action lawsuit against Google. He said that's it's very disappointing that instead of addressing the real gender pay inequities uh, adverse to women, Google has decided to increase the compensation of eight thousand male software engineers. Okay. Uh, since 2012, Google has conducted a yearly company-wide analysis to ensure pay is equitable across gender and racial lines. She offered an explanation that for the relatively large adjustment compared to prior years. Female engineers got more discretionary funds than men, which proved – actually, I didn't think about this. totally just proves my point, I think, or supports it. When women came to, to interview and, and get jobs, these the hiring managers were dipping into discretionary funds to pay the women more. Hmm. Um, and there was, let's see, managers had dipped into the discretionary funds more often for women engineers, creating a pay gap for men in the same job category. Anyway, this is all, I mean, I'm just kind of, this is all again, this is, they're, they're, they're splitting hairs here almost. That's why I don't take much of this very seriously at all. But, um, what did I see?
0: Um, gosh, where was it? Um, yeah, maybe it's somewhere. Let me let me check my notes here. I mean, to, to me, it's just the the normal peaks and valleys of supply and demand. If if there's if there's more demand for female engineers and the and the supply wait, is wait, wait, low, wait, wait.
1: there's more demand for female engineers. Why is there a demand for female or male engineers? How's there how's there a demand for female engineers? I'm
0: just, I'm just saying, it's a,
1: a, is that a thing? It, like it, we we're we're no, hiring just, female hold on, engineers. Hold on, okay. hold on. you're
0: focusing on the wrong I thing. Know, sorry. I'm saying it, it's it's a supply and demand trend trend. If if there's if there's more demand than there is supply, then you have to increase how much you pay to get that supply, right? If if a company is aggressively trying to recruit female engineers, beca- and they're creating sure, a they're, high they're demand for that, then they're going to have to pay more, that, right, right. To, pay sure. more to to attract yeah, those. That's a good point. So I'm just saying it's 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 not nefarious. It's it's not like oh, we're we're purposely doing this and we're purposely doing that. Let's check in with the. It's just to me, it's just supply and demand. Let's check in with Slack and see how, how many horrible things I've said that have that. has been be quiet. They, it's they just okay. So I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm
1: too bad. Now this this is uh, the most interesting quote. That's how you take it. <laughs> I take it as a left because of your. <laughs> Here's the, here's the interesting quote. Our pay equity analysis ensures that compensation is fair for employees in, in the same job, at the same level, location, and here's the out, performance. Mm. That's the weasel. That's, the, that's how they weasel out of this. That's, that's how they get out. They can justify anything. Oh, we're paying that dude more uh, because uh, he's performing better. Well, how do you, What do you mean he's performing? Uh, I don't know. He got rated a seven and the girl got rated a six. Based on you know the annual, so they can justify anything with that, and I'm not saying they shouldn't because I think you people that are better. I mean, like like you and I could both be software engineer level four, right? But Mm -hmm. like maybe you like you're just still like you get three times more stuff done. We're in the the same role. We might have the same title, but you could be three times more productive than me, and people know it, and your employers know it, and they had to pay you more to get you on board than they did me because I'm not very good and. People don't just not gonna pay me as much. Like, you, don't you have to look at performance? And that's what makes this so difficult. But isn't
0: that the whole point of the levels? No, the levels are bullshit. Well, oh, no, just
1: move. level four. Oh, you must be great then. No, of course not. That's t- that's a title. Do, t- <laughs> do titles make you? Do titles make the make the person? I, I don't know. This this stuff is all very difficult. You're difficult, and I don't. I don't think this is going to work out well for Google. You know, making this big announcement that they pay. Uh, men less It doesn't fit the narrative it, It's not part of the script
0: Yeah <laughs> Can I propose an idea Yes uh, I saw this idea and I don't know if it's a good idea Or a bad idea And so I thought you That'd could tell right me up. if it's a good idea or a bad idea I don't know why I'm asking you to tell me I thought we could discuss it This is a two way thing not, not, supposed not to be. a one way thing uh, So there's an idea out there Uh, and it's titled Ability to Turn Workflow Validation Rules Off When Running Tests. The reason I found this is because I came across a situation where I couldn't write traditional unit tests because I could not create an account in the system.
1: like a 001 account? That's what you're talking about? Yes. Like an account account? Okay.
0: Because there's a process builder or process builder flow process whatever (laughs) you call them.
1: The thing that results after you use process builder? Yeah.
0: (laughs) Okay. That works. It works. Okay. But it works because they hard-coded a bunch of IDs, IDs to some products. <laughs> so there's some automation set up that when the account gets created, it, it looks at a, it. Well, there's a couple of things that happen, but one of the last things that happens is it, so it goes and grabs this product ID and pulls it in and does some stuff. Okay, It's all tax-related. Well, I can't create a test because that product ID doesn't exist when I run my test. Now, I could do run, you know, show all data, whatever it's called, when I run my test, but I didn't want to do that.
1: It was a, sorry, <clears throat> I've got distracted slightly. You, it's a product
0: record that, that does. Yeah. Like, yeah. Don't get, don't get focused on that. Okay. But the, the point is that I couldn't, because of this process builder, because of this automation, because of this workflow slash flow, mm-hmm. the automation that happens because it has hard coded IDs, which is, I'm starting to oh, think is hard coded IDs. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a thing that's happening and it's happening in more places than one that I'm starting to think it's a normal thing that's happening. I don't know, maybe, maybe anyone out there who's experienced this can tell me if it's a normal thing or if it's an edge case, but I'm seeing a lot of hard-coded IDs out there. Um,
1: well, you're going to see that stuff.
0: You're going to see that stuff
1: in Process Builder and the, all these things. That's just part, it's going to come with the territory. Yeah.
0: Well, it breaks my test. It's, it's
1: hard enough to get people who are trained as developers to not do dumb things
0: and people that don't have that training and background. That's, well, that's just, it, it's, so you tell me, is it deficiency with Process Builder? Because no, technically well, this I, I don't know, I don't know because there's, there's no mechanism to say oh go look up this record with this name and then pull the ID and map it to I, this field. There's I
1: can't believe that.
0: Well, you can do it with a flow, but you have to do a headless flow and you got to do that and it's just it's added complication to a what, what what is simple today is here's the ID to use and map it. It's never going to change and if it does some admin will go in and change it. Well,
1: if that's if that's a deficiency of process builder, that's a huge deficiency. I'm 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 we're going to refer to the Slack here and see what people are saying cuz there's got to be there's got to be a solution. so you got to move them to CMDT. What is that? I don't even know what that means. Am, am I, oh, custom labels. Custom metadata types. oh, sorry, that's got to be what that is. Oh um, you have to move them to custom metadata. Oh, 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 yeah, you can oh yeah, because custom metadata types are are not data, they're metadata, so they're always going to be there.
0: Oh or custom labels but still, yeah they're, they're, they're oh, the suggestion um, custom labels, but.
1: Yeah, I I just I don't know. I like when I in in my code <laughs> like for record types and things like that, I'll just I'll usually um do something where like I just kind of have something that runs uh, just a query for all record types and ca- you know caches caches them by object type, by name and all that so I can I can do I can look up any run, any any record type IDs in a you know kind of efficient and safe way. Uh, that's, you know, org or trans org, say, if across
0: orgs. What, what's the See, word? See, do, you don't have to do that anymore. How so? Uh, oh, yeah. Schema, you Schema, s object type, dot object name, dot get, or map. Okay. Set, by set me name. straight
1: on this if I'm wrong. But I, and this is from the old days. So I, this might have all been optimized away. But back in the day, anytime you touch schema stuff or, or like, like you know, kind of RTTI type stuff, it was inefficient. And so I, I've always, I still, I still avoid that a lot of times, except when I have to, like, get, like, comparing, like, I don't know, like, field token or something like mm. that. But I, I still avoid. I don't know if that's rational or not. But I I, 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 and I'm, you know, you get set in your ways, and it works. Like, you know, mm-hmm. when when a transaction starts, and there's this thing that you know, a little, like, just queries record types, and usually, you know, in a, in a, even in a big world, there might be a couple of hundred record types, so it's not a big amount. And you know, just cache them by what do I usually do? I think it's by object type, then the name of the record type. Yeah. So it's like a kind of a two-level map or whatever. And it's you know, again, and and then everything, everything else that runs during that context or transaction or whatever the hell it's called, <clears throat> um, it's using that cached lookup.
0: Yeah. So you that. don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> First of all, you're you're incurring a query to do that at least you once are throughout query. the yep. transaction, yep. but. Mm-hmm. When you use the metadata, you don't incur the query, and Salesforce is caching that information as well, so you're just over, you're caching on top of caching.
1: Right, and that's why I said I'm, I'm sure I have old information.
0: Now, but I used to do it because I needed the developer name, not the not the label. Oh, I always use developer name, yeah. But recently, I don't know, a few releases, a little, maybe it's a year mm-hmm. or two years old, they did add the, uh, the mapping feature to map it by developer name, so... Okay. So I used to still do it the longest time mm. because I needed the developer name, not the regular name. Yeah. Um, but popping the stack back up. So that, mm. that issue of not being able to create an account because of the workflow, and there's some... I, I didn't... I, I hope Jody covers that in her talk and it gets published online because I think a few people need to see. What's her talk? Um, she's doing a whole talk on flows and everything. I think it... Uh, she'll tell me. We, we had a nice thread in the Slack about, yeah. um, that she's,
1: I think she started. Is it London's
0: about, calling that's happening right now or? No, it's something else. Something else. Yeah. But I think she's giving a talk on flows and everything. And I hope she covers that topic. Cause there's a lot of people I think who could benefit from avoiding how to avoid using hard coded IDs in your flows. Okay. Maybe I should do a talk. Well, since <laughs> we're talking about, I, well, anyways, okay. I want to, I want bef- right. to, I want to digress. Um, and it was because of that that I came across this, this idea of... Because I, I thought, well, I wish there's a way for me to turn this off so I can run my test. But then, as some of the comments on this idea kind of say the same thing that, that I also kind of said to myself in my own head, but, well, that means I'm not testing the true functionality of the system. I'm bypassing functionality.
1: Yeah, you're, you're, you're not t- it's not really an integration test anymore, which is pr- really kind of what you want. I mean.
0: But at the same time... I don't really care about that automation. I just need an account to attach a bunch of other records to that I do care about so that I can do my actual testing. I can't do a full testing.
1: Though. Those are kind of famous last words. You really do in the Salesforce world. I mean, the most important thing is that end-to-end test that that, that ties everything together. Because if if you don't have that, that's what Murphy's Oh, That's what's going I to fail in
0: production. In fact, it's worse because – well, I'm not going to say it's worse. But what what I ended up doing is I ended up abstracting away all the DML – and so that I can test everything, all oh. the scenarios, but I can't test the DML yeah. operation part of it. So I can't really test if once I do figure out all the logic and, and I have all my data set up the way it <laughs> needs to be, I have no way of, of, of saving it to see if it, it's saved correctly or if there's going to be an error when I try to save. I, I'm just assuming it's going to work. Yeah. I mean, functional, te- functional testing... T- Functional testing, <laughs> yeah. walking in, going in, and doing UI functional testing tells me that it's working. Manual, but manual testing, manual okay. testing tells me yeah. it's working, but yeah, I don't feel good about that.
1: Yeah, no, I don't either. I mean, but I don't know. Hey, engineering is all about compromises. You have you know, and ma- making educated compromises. I had a related thing. I wasn't sure I was going to whether I was going to talk talk about it or not, but I guess I will because it's kind of related. Uh, and maybe this is something everyone already knows. I don't know, um, but in the in the, you know what? First of all, let me. Step up one notch. Do you know what HEDA is? Have you heard of HEDA? It's it something familiar. that came out of Salesforce.org, which is, I guess, the foundation. But it's the and it's it's specifically in in higher ed because it stands for the higher what it was got to stand for higher education data architecture. Okay, so it's for like colleges, basically, essentially is what it's for. So it's it's tracks you know students and people who apply and and on the inter you know semesters and terms and courses and classes and enrollments and all that kind of fun stuff um anyway these this .org group is actually pretty interesting I mean, there's I, I need to i need to actually like to meet some more people there um we've got a couple couple of uh, people in the in the community that that are involved in that but i'd like to make more connections so I, I would say if you work for .org uh reach out to me let me know and and maybe we can meet at uh dx or or uh, what's it called Dreamforce is that the big one I'm not doing dreams. I'm probably, you know, this will, this will be my uh, second time <laughs> in Dream- I'm just, I'm pretty. If, 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 unless I get fired before then, which is a distinct possibility, um, I'll probably be going to Dreamforce. <laughs>
0: <laughs> We're hiring. Come work for us. <laughs> yeah. I might get fired. Hey, you know what? <laughs> While I'm with the company, I'm gonna do the best I can.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm being facetious. I won't get fired, except if I do. <laughs> now you got to knock on some wood, but I technically can be fired. Yeah. All right. So, um HEDA, the higher education data architecture. So right, it's these, it's those ob- it's all these objects, but there's all kinds of um triggers and automation that come with it. And so the problem you have with that, like and it's um it's open source. It's and so you can, you know, if you want to, you can install it, you know, small batch artisanally with your own you know ant script or whatever from from the GitHub repository. But it's also available as a, as a managed package, so you can just install the managed package. Mm-hmm. But in either case. Um, it's got a bunch of triggers and in, in automation because there's just a bunch of stuff that has to be automated in that kind of domain. And they invented this thing. And again, this is the part that maybe this is super old news. I'm sorry if it is TDTM table driven trigger management. The hell is that? And it's um, I knew you would ask that. So here we go. Uh, kind of a mouthful. Kind of sounds like it might be an anger management technique. <laughs> 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 sorry, was I was a massively that? clipped on that. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that. that's Salesforce trying to be funny. Actually, it's a tool to manage your code in a sales, in Salesforce and control how Apex behaves. Um, now wait but, a minute, I'm going to
0: digress there. Okay, digress. Whatever the word is, words are not working for me. I'm sorry. I I enjoy that kind of writing style. I enjoy writing that's a little less serious, especially when it comes to. If it's
1: to, actually like down to earth and funny, yeah. But when it's corporate funny, like all the trailhead stuff, it's yeah, like, oh my god, yeah. You're killing I killing me,
0: <laughs> corporate funny sucks. But but you know, genuine someone who's just nerding out and just trying to be funny, I appreciate it. So so if you got a blog yeah. out there that kind of does this stuff, I appreciate it. If you're trying to be corporate funny, yeah. you're probably making an old joke. I like
1: the I like the dry and really subtle humor. You know the the the, the obvious just slap. What's it called? Slapstick or whatever? Just like, just can you da- have slapstick in,
0: in a blog? I don't know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, okay. So, what they did is like all of their triggers that they ship mm-hmm. in HiTA implement a certain interface. Um, I don't even know what it's called, but whatever. Like something, you know, TDTM trigger interface or whatever. Mm mm-hmm. And oh, so they're really Apex classes, right? There's okay. Apex classes. Anything that you want to run in a trigger, they they run them as Apex classes, they implement a certain interface. And there's this custom object that holds all these triggers. Okay. And if you actually want your trigger, a.k.a. your Apex class that implements in a certain interface to run, you've got to create a record in this custom object and you have to tell it like what object it, the trigger's on, what class it is, what method you want it to call, all that stuff. And and end result is, you can order, you can, so okay, let me back up. There is actually, there are actually, there's actually like a trigger as a part of TDTM. that's like this massive dispatcher of triggers. And because of that, you can take this, this table, give me back to table driven, which mm-hmm. is, you know, it's a custom object with a record for every, you know, qu- what's a good word for this? Like, uh, you know. event. Uh, yeah, I mean, not event, but like. Every for, for every um, quasi quasi trigger, I, I can't think of a better word that you want to run. There's a record in this, and so you can you can order them dynamically mm-hmm. at runtime. You can change the order of them. You can inactivate certain ones. And although I do rail against this because you <laughs> every time you change something in that table, you are in untested land. Now you don't know if this is going to work, which is true. However, it's also been super beneficial, especially with something like HEDA, where I've had to go in because Keta is fighting with, you know, the payment processing or the event package or whatever. All these because all oh, mm-hmm. these other packages and like, they can just like go around and around and just kill each other and, and bring an org down. Right. And if you don't have something like this, especially with a managed package, it, it's a black the managed package is a black box. I mean, yeah. If there's if you don't have something like this, you're kind of screwed and dead in the water.
0: I, I will say I do appreciate managed packages that that do have switches for their automation routines. Um, I've been working with. Blackthorn recently, which is a payment processor that sits on top of Stripe, yeah, I think. Sounds painful. So nope, painful. well, it, it is a little painful because you have this, you have the ah, accounting gosh. seed <laughs> data model on the Blackthorn data model and, and all that kind of stuff. But but, anyways, they do have a metadata config to, to disable all their triggers. And I've used it, A, to do some backfilling, a migration of data and everything, but also just to kind of reshuffle yeah. things before. And, right. So not a new concept.
1: And there's a lot of these trigger frameworks do the same thing. It just like TDTM seems pretty well done. In fact, Jody's agreeing with me. It's actually, she says it's pretty good. It's also part of the non-profit starter pack. So I think it's something that, again, it's a .org Jeez, you're in the know on these freaking acronyms. I didn't know what NPSP was. Well, it actually, no, it's not called that anymore. Someone, someone fix me. It's not, no, that's, that's a tall order. Someone correct me. It's non-profit uh, solutions. It used to be the starter pack. They re, they re, what that's called? They branded it? They re, they kind of re-backronymed it to something else. Um, Success. It's got to be success. Nonprofit success package or something. Pro program. Um, yeah. Success. Um, but yeah. Dot org. They these are a scrappy group. They they come up with interesting solutions to these problems. I mean, again, none of them are perfect, right? You can't can't you know. There's always things you got to work through, which is thank thank you because that's why I have a job. (laughs) 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 I'm I'm the you know I got to make all this I got to glue all this stuff together and, and. have it work in some semblance of acceptability um, but yeah uh, tr- I would say if, if for no other reason just to see how something like this works check out TDTM it's
0: pretty cool I, th- I think the issue I, I like the idea of it but I think the issue is and I, I come into this all the time if I, if I come into an org that's got something well established like that I don't know if it's okay for me to inject my process into that process does that make sense? Well, so the, if someone's got TDTM and they're really using, the best thing to do is when you need triggers,
1: implement mm-hmm. them as Apex interfaces that implement this interface and then go.
0: So implement their interfaces in my interfaces no, to, no, 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 to no. inherit from your, their interfaces? Your,
1: your code will, your trigger, quasi-trigger code, instead of being actual triggers, you don't have to create triggers. You just implement their interface like the you know execute or interface or, you know execute method on their interface. Or whatever. No, I know. I, and then you go into this table and you then you define. Okay, I just created this quasi trigger and run it. And when contact is inserted and run it um, after this other contact insert trigger uh, runs. I want it to run after this one, before that one, whatever. Uh, now Jody's complaining about our streaming, our high quality streaming service. Well, I'm going to redirect that to John. John, that's your job, and you're falling down on your job. We've got people complaining. <laughs> This is the first time I'm hearing about the quality. So. I mean, so it could be our internet. Who knows? I, you know, yeah. I, but, I'd, yeah, but she's saying just in general, Mixler is not very good, but they're one of the, like, it's like them and that other one, like, they're, like yeah, the one top right, two. Yeah. So I don't know, whatever. There are other options. You know what? Let's, let's refund Jody's money as soon as we finish the show. Okay? <laughs> 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 I'll, uh, I'll research
0: options. We'll yeah. see. We'll see if there's better <laughs>
1: options. It, it, again, it could be a, sometimes like global networks, routes go down and whatever. I don't know. Oh, sorry. You're
0: layering on the excuses. I'm, no, I'm not making excuses. I'm not saying, <laughs> that I'm, I don't know, whatever. Hey, we do our Well, best. anyways, so, so let me go back to that. I guess I, guess I have a hard time implementing. So say, say this is implemented and I come into it, to an org and I'm developing new customizations and I, I need to leverage that. I, I need to build a trigger. How do I know that's going to exist always? You know, how do I know I'm not creating a dependency on something that could just go away? And so there's a there's a certain amount of risk in my head that goes: Do I create a dependency on that? Good point. I mean, or or well, not? I mean, I'm so contracted have, for this one little yeah. thing, this sliver of thing. Okay. And I might just so create you, a dependency that's going to cause you need heartache. to you need
1: to do some analysis of how the org works, what's in the org, and talk to some people mm-hmm. there and say, hey, notice you've got this uh, TDM thing and you're. Or TDTM, and you're using HEDA. Um, how's that HEDA thing working out? Are you are you just playing around with it, or like are you really built on it? Because I can tell you, with like these universities that use HEDA, like they're they're stuck with it. Whether they whether for good or bad, they are stuck with it. They mm-hmm. it runs everything. They build everything around it. It's the object model. It's the it's the logic. It's everything. Like you'd have to create a new org and start burn the old one down and start from scratch if you wanted to get rid of HIDA and TDTM. If that's the case, then, I mean, it's best just to, like, follow along that pattern instead of coming in and flinging your own poo everywhere, you know? I'm not going to do this. Yeah, Take this. (laughs) (laughs) And now we've entered the portion of the program where I'm making fart noises, and John is, I don't know what you're off doing, chatting with people. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I don't be your I'm so, being responsive Okay, I'm being responsive to the community. Um <clears throat> dear listener, thank you for listening to this episode of the Good Days for Podcast, episode 208. In fact, um we have this amazing Slack community or a community that we we happen to currently use Slack as our tool of communication. There are a lot of great conversations going on even currently. Inter- very interesting threads you can come check out Jody's thread on uh really interesting actually, discussion on you know, is process builder, can we just get over it and say this is a good tool or are there still arguments against it? You know, make your case, that kind of thing. So really thoughtful uh, dialogue and, and discussion. Um, if you, dear listener, are not in, the, in our Slack, you probably should check it out. It's You know, there's no cost to it. There's no subscriptions up for our premium package. <laughs> and the way you do that is you just go to goodday You click on community and you put in your email address and John will add you. And then we delete the emails. We don't sell them. They will never get, there's not even a list. They get deleted We even delete the emails out of Gmail. They're gone. Mm-hmm. not even archived. They're gone. So you don't have to worry about that. Um, we also subscribe in your podcast podcatcher of choice. And in all you overcast users, click the star on every, you got every episode, start every episode. I don't know why. Just do it, please. It it's, it's <laughs> give, increases my karma count or something. I don't know what it does. Uh, we have an email address. You can email us, info at Please send us your questions, your feedback. Um, we will not use your name on the show unless you explicitly give us permission so you can feel safe in that. I don't think we've ever violated that
0: since we created that policy. No, I got um, knock on wood because I'm the one that handles that. That's true. Right. <laughs> what else, John? Like us, share us on the socials. We grow by word of mouth. So that's true.
1: All <clears> right, um, John, have you tried the uh, vanilla Man stout yet?
0: I have been. I've been drinking it. It's nice. Okay, I like it.
1: It's um, you know, here's the thing with 99 percent of beers, they don't get better with age. This was a little better when it was first bottled. So don't don't cellar your beers. That's just a big. That's a that's not a thing. Just there there are a, a few exceptions.
0: I, and, mean, and, I didn't think and, that And if was you own
1: the exceptions, you know you know what they are. So, in general, just don't sell your beers. Most beers are drink to, meant to be drank fresh. Even, like, beers that were barrel-aged for two years on, you know, two different kinds of you know bourbon barrels. And then vanilla beans, all this stuff. Even when they're bottled, they are ready to drink, and they are not getting better. They're not going to get better.
0: Wines don't get better, do they?
1: Wine is a whole different story. But they don't, right? A lot of wines do get better. The aging a lot of process wines, stops once they bottle it, doesn't oh, no, it? Oh, no, 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 no. Um, a lot of wines, the tannins are so green and intense. I'm not uh, talking like, you know, okay. particularly things like Bordeaux that okay. uh, they do soften over time. Believe it or not, the micro amount of oxygen that gets through the cork over years slowly uh, help to mature those tannins. I don't know what the scientific process is behind it, but um, – yeah, so they're and some people like the the fresh green kind of tannic wines, the younger wines, and some people because the fruit's stronger than too. That's the downside. You can let the tannin soften over you know a decade for some of these wines, mm-hmm. but the fruit fades too to so get this more kind of mature, austere kind of wine. The, the colors the colors turn from like a rich purple to like a more brick red type of color. It gets a little more transparent. Um, it's just, it's a, you know, kind of a different product. I tend to like the, I don't know how we got on this kind of the I like to have them when they're younger. That sounds really weird. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Demonetized. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there go our advertisers. Damn it. Um, because I've, you know, we, we have too much wine, a lot of <clears> wine, <throat> hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of bottles. Um, and, and I've, you know, cause I've been collecting wine for probably a couple of decades now. How old am I? 40 something. Yeah. Probably a couple of decades. Um, and I know, <laughs> <so> I'm not <laughs> even going to be specific. And, and I've certainly have kept wines past their peak. And, yeah. you know, you crack one and you drink, pour a glass, you know, even decant it and, you know, let it oxygenate some and you take that sip and you're like, ah, oh, shit, waited too long. <laughs> this bottle that, you know, I spent 50 bucks on of my hard-earned money or a hundred bucks when I was like 25 that I thought, you know, when I was 32, it was great. Now I'm 42 and... It 32. was better it was better when I was thirty two. You're forty one. Well for about another month or two. No, yeah. too much. Yeah, no. Getting old, man. Anyway.
0: Can I just end it?
1: <laughs> I I I, fit, I did all the background. I'm, matter, depre- just, I'm depressed after
0: talking about our age. And well, to I, that and to that. And to that, I say good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir.